listening to episode 301 of Sci-Fi TV Rewatch. My name's Dave, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Wayne, as we continue our journey with season one of The Magicians. And as we said last time, we're going to take a look at two episodes this week because, dude, I'm excited for Dark. I mean, not that I'm not enjoying The Magicians, but uh, I can't wait to get back to Dark as well. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I am actually starting to, to enjoy The Magicians a lot more. But uh, yeah, just today as I was setting up, I'm like, oh man, dark starting again soon. You know, just like kind of like yeah. a little warm, fuzzy feeling creeping over me. Like, yeah, so. and actually, the rain comes back for season two. I believe it's on this Friday, which will be the day this podcast is released. So I'm looking forward to that as well. I don't know if you watched the first season of that. The rain. Yeah, I felt like I was watching it this oh. past weekend, but no. Oh, oh, that's pretty good. It's uh, yeah, it's definitely sci-fi. It's it's uh, foreign. It's on Netflix, but uh, yeah. Anyway, um, and, and before I go too far, because I seem to always leave this till the end uh, of late. But if you want to contact us with some episode feedback, questions, whatever, uh, emails go to sci-fi TV rewatch at gmail dot com. You can go to the website, leave a voicemail using the Leave Voicemail tab, record your own audio clips the way Fred does each week. Just send us the MP3 as an attachment. Tweet us at Sci-Fi TV Rewatch. But as we always say, we'd encourage you to join the Facebook group and get into the discussions there. All right. Now, because we're doing two episodes this week, we're, we're not going to deal with a tip of the week. But you had a couple things you wanted to say about Endgame. Yeah, so I finally saw Endgame, and no, I'm not going to spoil anything, so relax. You don't have to turn your volume down or anything like that. I just want to give a quick uh, you know, critique of it. So overall, my take on Endgame is I thought it was okay. And I seem to be like in the minority of that. Uh, everything I read online, like all the critics, they just everyone loves it. Everyone says it's amazing. And I thought it was okay. Um I really found like the it takes a long time to really get going, um, and for you know it's so like a three hour movie, and it really didn't have to be, you know. Like I don't mind three hour movies. Like Braveheart's one of my absolute favorite movies. Uh, that's three hours long, and Gladiator is another great one. Um, that's three hours long, and Das Boot is like three hours long. So you know some of my favorite movies are longer movies. I love longer movies, but. Not when it just drags for the first like hour, 15 minutes. And I'm not necessarily saying you have to get into the action right away. I'm just saying it just, it just really, really dragged at first. And it took a while. And I, I don't think even, I don't know, I think thematically it kind of got its feet later on. Uh, but, uh, you know, the first probably hour, hour and a half, I was like literally like, man, like are they are, they're going to get. It's an Avengers movie for crying out loud. You know, it's this not uh, like a Godard film or something like that. You know, like, I'm not coming here for ar- artistic, you know, experimentation. I just want, you know, let's let's see the good guys beating up on the bad guys. You know, so anyway, that's all. I don't want because there's like lots and lots of spoilers. Uh, if you haven't seen it yet, uh, you, if you've gotten this far, you're probably okay. But uh, you know, just don't you know look up Endgame on the internet at all and don't watch anything that has anything with Endgame in it at all. So you stay spoiler-free, as I am keeping you here spoiler-free as well. All right. Well, as you know, it's going to be quite a while before I get to see it. So anyway, as it is, uh, we're going to take a look at episode 107, The Mayakovsky Circumstance. Story was by Mike Moore, teleplay by John McNamara, directed by Guy Norman B. And this aired February 29th, 2016. You know, my first impression is that I really enjoyed this episode. Unlike Fred, who I believe in his feedback gives this episode an A, there are a few things that hold me back from giving it an A. And and I'll say right now, if we forgot to talk about our grades during the actual podcast we put them on the uh on the website but i'm going a minus with this one and i'll explain why in a bit but i really enjoyed this one. Oh yeah i did too uh, i thought Mayatovsky himself was a pretty funny character his accent was outrageous and if i were a russian i'd probably be fairly insulted by it but uh but the character was funny, and I 
turns out pretty sage-like at the end, too. So, Yeah, Brian F. O'Byrne is the actor, and, and he's one of those guys that, okay, I, I know I've seen right. him in something, but of course I had to go to IMDb, and I did see him in Night Flyers and also Flash Forward. And as you said, I thought the same thing about the Russian accent. And to be fair, his Russian accent is pretty much the standard sure. American television right. Russian it, it, accent. Exactly right. It's 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 like what you would pretty much expect in a you know a, yeah overblown Russian character on American television. Absolutely. Right. And what I thought I should do is go on YouTube and you know call up an interview with a Russian hockey player. And see what his English Russian accent sounds like. Probably absolutely nothing like this. Right. Yeah. Uh, I've never heard, I think I've probably heard Ovechkin talk at some point, but uh, pretty much not like uh, Mayakovsky. But the other actor that I immediately recognized was the guy that played Todd, Adam DeMarco, from a show called The Order, which is. Uh, on netflix now one season and and again it's one of these supernatural shows uh, and it was pretty good uh, i enjoyed it but the other one was julia's sister and i'm sitting there looking like all right i know you but not enough that i can really place it did did you look her up i didn't know uh, jessica Harmon is the actress she plays nyla in the hundred okay and the hundred is back. I don't know if you've been keeping up with it. I, I have it because I don't get the CW. Um, oh, right. But yeah, so that's the kind of the that's really there's two big like victims or you know of my switch from cable to PS View, and uh, one is the CW, which I don't get any of the CW shows, and two is uh, the Mid Atlantic Sports Network. So I can no longer watch Orioles games at home. Well, not missing anything with that, I will say. I know I'm not missing anything, but I would like to actually see these young guys play, you know? Like, I find it an interesting narrative. Um, So I would always watch the Orioles. Even when they sucked, I'd I'd watch them. So, you know, I'm hoping the Angelos family will come to its senses and allow some of the streaming services to have uh, mass on it. But we'll see. Yeah. I digress. All right. Okay. All right. Well the, well, the first story I want to look at is the one with Elliot and Margot, which sort of sets the stage for episode 108 that we'll talk about in a little while. And obviously, The Magicians is into this serialized overall story arc that I think most of us really enjoy. But this story, I'm not quite so fond of. And, and you know, right away, there's this stark contrast. Elliot and Margot are preparing to go to Ibiza for sun, drugs, and magical arts. And, and, and of course, uh, the rest of the crew is going to break Bill south at the Antarctic, I think they <laughs> even say. But this whole storyline that they need to come up with an idea for a gift for the elders that are hosting the debauchery, I, I just not really feeling it. I mean, it, it sort of was interesting the first time I watched it. They come up with the idea they're going to make some magic gin. And okay, that was kind of funny that it turned out to be not G-I-N, but D-J-I-N-N. But I mean, I don't know. It just didn't seem like it served the overall story other than to... No, it doesn't at all. Yeah, and... And, and I mean, yes, it introduces Mike to the narrative a little bit, and and that's okay. I mean, at, at first, once they realize it's a genie and the genie's out, and I don't know about you, but I'm thinking, all right, does the genie inhabit Mike's body? And it's like, no, it's the blue moth, which yeah. is, I'm pretty sure, the beast is what takes him over. But okay, yeah. fine. little misdirection, I guess. Well, I think there's two things to it. I mean, first of all, I really enjoyed the comedic aspect of it because, you know, as as I've said before, I love Margot and Elliot. Uh, those two, I think, are still <clears throat> two of my favorite characters on the show. Though when, you know, ironically enough, uh, Elliot chooses hoes over bros uh, for the Urbisa um, weekend, is I was disappointed in that a little bit 
that he uh, ditches Margo to stay back at break bills and play house with Mike. You know, so A, this is the, you know, the, the comic relief to it. Cause this show can be pretty serious and, and, you know, a lot. And so when you get Margo and Elliot in there, it uh, reminds us that, you know, it's, you know, a little bit lighter and not so serious. Um, but then also, of course, it is the, because of, you know, Mike being taken, it, you know, helps push along the relationship between Elliot and, and Mike that, um, you know, probably moves forward a lot faster because Mike is put into, you know, danger here. Yeah, and I mean, really, we see a lot about what Margot and Elliot's relationship is all about. I mean, we've certainly speculated that they're having sex. I think we've certainly established that. But but clearly, she's jealous that Mike is coming between her and Elliot. But of course, Elliot mentions, well, no, I thought I'd bring him into our relationship. And and then, of course, we, we get to the point where she's the only one that the genie will listen to and she's the only one to get the genie back in the bottle and, and i'm wondering oh is this a metaphor about the relationship that she can put the genie back in the bottle or, or that she can't right but overall okay it was funny and I, again like you were talking about with endgame they took a little longer than they needed to i think there were other aspects of the story that they could have um you know, spent time on, but but we see then Mike goes to the kitchen, the blue moth flies into his vision, eyes turn blue, and and of course, uh, that's pretty certain that is the beast. No matter what uh, show you're on, the eyes turning ice blue like that is not good. Yeah. Now, we don't see a whole lot of Julia in this episode, and that's, again, one of the aspects of the story that I'd like to see them speed up a little bit more. I mean, we get that she's in this funk about not really having a place to go magically. And, okay, her sister gets her into rehab. You know, I I heard her sister say that she'd gotten arrested. And and clearly here, she wasn't arrested for uh, Hannah's murder. She was just brought in for questioning. and, And, you know, the officer tells her she's free to go so did i miss something along the way or is that just something that's i guess supposed to be in her past i i i I don't didn't really take note of that line so okay okay now her her sister drives her home from the police station and and you know we hear stuff a little bit of background on the the family but the interesting thing though is what the sister says about the mother that Mm -hmm. you know if you don't think she'll get one of her doctor friends to just have you committed you're deluding yourself. And we're thinking like, oh, my God. I, I mean, you know, we met Quentin's father, and, and his father seemed perfectly nice, a perfectly good guy. And, you know, this is really the first parent that we've met outside of uh, Quentin's. And, and, I mean, we haven't met her mother, but that certainly doesn't speak well of her. But that's pretty much all we get out of Julia's story in this episode. I mean, we're going to get more in 108. Right. But. Yeah. Yeah. And there's a couple of things, as you said, like the relationship with the mom, which is significant, especially we just saw the Katie Hannah relationship as well. And, um, you know, and, and we see that with, you know, Katie finding out about Hannah's death in this one. Also, I think the, the thing with the dad, you know, like the mom had the dad committed. Right. The dad was put into an asylum, you know, was her father, you know, magical. Did he have magical right. talent oh. that was likewise what's happening with Julia here interpreted as madness. Right. Oh, I didn't even think about that. Good, good. So, yeah, that's why you got me here, man. Yeah. Now, <laughs> obviously, the bulk of the story is the training session at Break Bills South. And, you know, Fred addresses it a little bit in his feedback, but what's the deal with the animal transformations? I mean, we talked last time about you know, the birds, the geese, who whatever they were flying away at the end. And, and yeah. now I think we, we get the sense that this is where they were all flying. Obviously, we've got the fox images that, that we'll get to in a little while. But I don't know if this is something that's important or just you know, part of the mechanics of getting from point A to point B. But, you know, as you said at the top, 
Mayakovsky is great. I mean, yeah. right away he mocks their lack of true magic ability. And again, Fred has mentioned in his feedback, and obviously you and I have talked a lot about teaching. And oh my gosh, you, you just how many times have you just wanted to have the freedom right? to be like Mayakovsky? Right? That's like all oh I can think God. about was like, this is amazing. Like, I, you can really do some work with these kids if you could just be completely honest with them, right? But, you, you know, we're just so limited. Like, you can't – like, you just want to say, you know, like, just be completely open and honest with a kid about both their shortcomings and their abilities. But you can't do that, right? All you can do is no. encourage. All you can be is nice and positive, which – I mean, like, I'm not saying it's bad, but you see Mayakovsky, like – and you see in coaching, too. Like, if you did coaching – just by patting kids in the back and tell them how awesome they are, the kid aren't, is not going to learn, right? You, you don't yeah. learn when you succeed. You learn when you fail, really. Right. Right. And, and look, obviously, we've both coached a long time, and, and we've talked about it. And I, I, I've certainly had those games where my pregame talk, it's like, you know, look, we're playing Howard today. We all know we got no chance to beat them. So let's just go out and, and do our best. And you're looking around to see how they're taking that in. And you're hoping one of them's going to say, "Coach, what the hell are you talking about? Right? We can beat them," which is exactly what you want. And and right. after all of this, Mayakovsky even mocks Q analysis success with the nail driving uh, exercise, and then Q spells dick with the nails. Yeah. I mean, how awesome is that? But what about Mayakovsky's reaction to that? He's like, yeah, that, that's what I'm talking about. Exactly. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So so that, w- that was a great scene. Now, the other one that was pretty interesting was the one about the mind control with the bugs. Yeah. Well, we were told not to use magic to circumvent free will. It, it's almost like break bills north, although they don't call it that. It's It's sort of... You know, we're going to teach you magic. We're going to teach you the rules, so to speak. And Mayakovsky down in the South, it's like, well, you know what? There's going to be a lot of times where screw the rules. You just have to do what needs to be done. Right. And, you know, I, 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 I like that Quentin and Alice question him, but I also like his response as well. Right. And I'm sorry. I found it a bit rich that Quentin is so opposed to trying to mind control a bug when he freaking was doing medical testing on cancer puppy, you know, yeah. again, I forgot about that. Right. Cause that right. served his purpose. Yeah, exactly. So get off your high horse. Quentin is what I'm saying. And again, you mentioned high horse and, and certainly Mayakovsky can come across that way. I, I think by the time you get to the end of the episode, Quentin even tells him, you know, you're really a great teacher. Yeah, I know. But when he sees Penny's tattoo and then he calls him in for a private conference and it's a totally different kind of tone to his message to Penny that why would you want to inhibit your power? And while we don't actually see him cut the tattoo off, oh, yeah, he just gives him that little when you see him. You see him bring that tool out, and then later yeah. we just see the bandage on his yeah. arm. Yeah. But uh, um, well, so before we leave the tattoo, I just want to say that because we were wondering whether that was the same tattoo that Stanley had, and actually in the previously on magicians part of this episode, we see Stanley's arm in the tattoo, and it it, it is indeed the tattoo that uh, Stanley had. Oh, okay. Yeah, I always go to the uh, skip intro little button on <laughs> Netflix. But uh, anyway, you know, now my I'm usually still trying to set up my computer and everything. So I just let oh, the, okay. the intro run. Well, okay. Now, I mean, certainly he's a good teacher. We, we know that. And I think he immediately recognizes that Alice and Quentin are fundamentally proficient, but they need to be pushed. And again as we keep saying he's not going to mince words why are you too determined to be so fucking bland and i think he understands that these two have to get out of a comfort zone that that they've kind of placed themselves or or allowed themselves to be placed in 
and, yeah, and again, that's a lot because of, you say to, I say to my students all the time, if you stay in your comfort zone, that's you, you're not gonna you're not gonna evolve, you're not gonna move on, you're not gonna grow. You'll stay in your comfort zone forever. So you gotta get out of that, right? Like that's that right, I say sure. all the time in teaching and coaching both. You know, it's like that's a big thing. Right. And we understand the kids are concerned about their grade. Well, if going out of my comfort zone might negatively impact my grade, then that's why I don't want to do it. And and we get that as educators. And I forget whether it's Penny or Alice that even says, are you going to flunk us? <laughs> I think he says, well, I wish I could. Yeah. But we know that's not really what he's saying. You know, it's almost right. like he's saying... You know, I wish I could flunk you so you'd have to stay with me longer because I have so much that I can teach you. Yeah. And he seems kind of lonely, too. Well, yeah. Although we don't know. Does he just keep getting new groups in each week? I mean, we don't know. But, but yeah, I mean, look, he sits in his little office and you see the bottles all over the place. So, yeah, uh, there, there's something that's sending him that direction. But uh, Penny and Katie... Penny suggests trying to buy Katie out of her connection to Marina. And on the one hand, I can't believe they went in and stole that spell out of Mayakovsky's office and actually thought they were going to get away with it. I mean, in a sense, they do get away with it because, uh, I mean, of course, Mayakovsky (laughs) knows they did it. And uh, but he brings her in. And I love he calls her sultry, but damaged. And. (laughs) Mykoski, I'd agree with you there, but, uh, you know, he gives her the news that her mother is dead from a spell gone wrong, and you're now free of Marina, and and it's a lot to process that Katie's probably still on the, your mother is dead, and hasn't even heard that you're free from Marina, but tells her she can't go back, break bills isn't a forgiving place, you know, she just leaves, leaves the forgive me note, and I don't know. Again, Fred mentions her disappearance in his feedback, and uh, that's certainly a concern for me. I mean, I, I hope she's not gone. I, I, think, I mean, she's well, clearly not gone. I yeah. Well, I, I, I've stopped making the mistake that we made in the early days of the podcast, which is to go to IMDb, and you see, oh, she's in this many episodes. Oh, good. She'll be back. Well. Right. <laughs> I wish I didn't know that. I'd like to you know, learn that organically. But you know, we get to the end, and he tells Alice and Q to take their clothes off and go out in this blizzard condition at the, you know, in, in Antarctica. I, I don't get the fox thing. I mean, do they turn themselves into foxes? Is yes. this in their mind? They no, they turn themselves into literal foxes. foxes. Okay. Yeah. And then, and then, his, then they his, do it. His, yeah, right. They, they, they have and, fox and they, in the snow. And his parting shot is, the fox is in you now. Both of you feed it. Right. I, I guess I'm not exactly sure what he means by that. Well, uh, I mean, if we tie it in with the next episode, which is actually not realizing we picked two really good episodes to go together. Because these two go together really well. But during the next episode, they're dealing with their foxism. And um, I guess we'll call it that maybe. She's concerned that the attraction between them is just this pheromones-induced animalistic connection as one animal to another feeling the need to procreate rather than actual human connection. I don't know. I, I guess it's just more of like my cops. He's like, you know, open up. Like what he's trying to tell these two is open up to the, the animal, the instinctual side of you, the, the natural side of you. Stop being so balled up behind rules and social expectations. Right. And both of them are prime examples of that. Absolutely. So, uh, well, why don't we run into uh, episode 108, The Strangled Heart? Written by David Reed, who also wrote episode 105, Mendings, Major and Minor. Directed by Jan Eliasberg, aired on March 7th, 2016. So uh, we've really just got the story about the beast 
brake bills and fillery, which we'll get to because that's the the main story. But we see a little bit more of Julia in rehab and this whole idea that she's giving up magic and we see her, you know, writing this letter, I guess it's to Quentin and, you know, she balls it up and Marina shows up and I, I guess Marina is basically there to provide uh, an ultimatum that, okay, fine. You say you're going to quit magic. I'm just telling you stay out of my way or I'll kill you and everyone that you care about I'm like wow right. okay everyone who's left at least but uh yeah and one of the things that comes up this guy i think he says he's a chaplain that that's leading the little group there claims that he was a student at break bills so we don't know whether he graduated or uh, like marina was kicked out for some reason but he, he raises the point, and, and I think it is something that they all have to consider. And, and I guess on the one hand, this is what Mayakovsky was trying to get across to the kids as well. What does Julia believe in? think she's still struggling, and part of the, her problem is that she's struggling alone and, and, and yes. doesn't have other people around her to help her, which makes it all that much more heartbreaking i mean in terms of hair and makeup with her i mean they've really done a, a fantastic job of making her look like somebody that's just on the brink of really just losing it right well yeah and you know when you're in rehab i assume you don't really have a chance to doll yourself up too much you know well, well, right, but you know, just like the the eyes, like it almost yeah. looks like she hasn't been sleeping much, and she's not ready to buy into what this guy is selling, and and he's talking about finding comfort somewhere else, and she's like, why don't you just say it? God, you're just replacing one drug for another, and okay, well, I think she says one crutch for another, but. Yeah. He gives her, and, and I guess I kind of missed when he actually physically gave her a, the piece of paper, but she's, again, I wasn't sure whether she was praying or conducting a spell, and then, of course, she starts floating off the ground on her back, which was a pretty cool special effects trick. It, it yeah. looked pretty cool. And, yeah, it looked great. It didn't great, look yeah. cheesy at all. But he tells her something, and certainly in retrospect, when she had sex with Pete, he tells her that her view of magic as a drug to be bought and sold is dangerous. And, and like she says, well, that's all I've ever known. Well, it's all you've ever known because of the associations you've made and the decisions that you've made. He claims he's one of the good guys. I guess we'll see. And then she says, I want you to get something inside break bill. So you got any ideas what she wants to get inside? Is it just maybe a note to Quentin? Maybe. I I don't I don't know that yeah that I don't I don't have any ideas on but I loved how Richard I like that comparison of the head witches the the hedge witches to to drug dealers he's like you know like basically the people you've been around have been treating magic and like they're drug dealers so that's why you think magic is like a drug and it's like he's like it's not like that. You know, I thought that was really kind of a, a neat little metaphor he came up with there. Okay. Yeah, as far as what she wants him to do, who knows? I think Dean Fogg really needs to rethink this alumni key that allows <laughs> yeah. you know, people who graduated just waltz on in. You know, like some of your graduates might not be doing stuff that you want them, you know, coming back into break pills. So, right. Well, I also wonder whether she wants to get a message to dean fogg that marina was able to steal her records although i guess i would suspect that they already know that at break bills yeah but you would think yeah we're pretty much in the aftermath of break bills south and and you know you you talked about alice and quentin trying to put their relationship and i am making air quotes in some sort of perspective and she just flat out says are you in love with me and i certainly she's right to consider that was this just two lonely people, two frightened people, two people that thought this could be it coming together. Two foxes. <laughs> yeah. Well, he says, well, maybe the first time, but what about the other four? Right. Were counting? <laughs> Hell yes, I was counting. Yes. Like, yes. I was counting. I of course dude. I was counting. <laughs> right. <laughs> like, look at now, me. 
But what about Penny and Professor Sunderland? You know, okay, yeah. he's been dumped. Okay. I, I, and maybe it's not even fair to say he's been dumped, but he doesn't really know why Katie left. Sure. But his first reaction once he's back at break bills is to come on to one of his teachers sexually and clearly she's aroused and he knows because he can read her mind yeah right she controls herself and and, you know suggests they travel together but but more what comes out of here is we we get more focus about the blue moth uh elliot and, and mike and I don't know. I, I I guess the magicians hasn't really had too many violent episodes. Certainly, nothing as gruesome as what we see in this one. But he sees that right. white bunny, and yeah. we're thinking, all right, what's he going to do? Yeah. WTF <sighs> with the bunny? Yeah, right. Like yeah. they kill. They just freaking did animal testing a cancer puppy a couple episodes ago, and now Mike just picks up a rabbit. Rips his freaking head off and pulls a knife at it. Like, good lord! Like, like there's got like if, if you're trying to magically get a knife in the brake bills, if I feel like there's better ways you can do it that doesn't require anyone to rip any bunnies in half. Yeah, I I mean it just yeah I, it's just I don't even know what to say about it, but um, I don't know what to say about it either. It was gross. Right. It now, was very disturbing. Now, again, part of this episode comes back to the the unease that Quentin and Alice are feeling. And I guess I feel like with all the serious issues that are taking place, I mean, I get it. The fans of the show, some of the fans of the show like that stuff and, and you want to you know service them in that regard. And, and, and I get that. And Elliot acting like a schoolboy with a crush to me is not a good look and maybe it's a reaction to Margot leaving but they seem to have this wide open relationship so i don't really know what to make of elliot's conduct in this episode i i don't like it i mean it is kind of funny but i just i just don't like how he's acting i mean i don't know i don't know how else to yeah. say it well, and, 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 and I, I know you're, you know, there, people might take that wrong and think, oh, it's because it's two guys. No, it's not because it's two guys. We don't care about that. It's the the point of how he g- goes 100%. Like, if, if Mike were a girl, it'd be the same thing. Yes. We might even be more critical of saying, what the hell? Like, how can you just, first of all, ditch Margot like that for someone you just met? Like, and then how is it like you're... Like, yeah, like acting kind of slavish to this person. Now, Mike seems like a nice guy, don't get me wrong, but, and, you know, he does turn out to have the beast, you know, you know, kind of in, inside of him. So that's not great. But yeah, like, like, the, yeah, the problem with it that I have is, yeah, like Elliot being all, now, uh, yeah, of course, th- that is kind of a nice, sweet scene when he talks talking to Mike and admits that he's from Indiana and that this persona of Elliot is something he just invented and created. So, I mean, that was nice, actually. You know, that was that was a sweet scene, him opening up. But again, the other part of me says, wait, you've known this guy for like a day, maybe a couple days, and you're confessing to him something you've not told anyone. And the only person you told was Margot, in the trials where you had to tell your deepest truth in order to get through the trial. So you haven't told anyone this, and now you're telling this to some guy you just met. Like, come on. No, I agree. And I will say I had a little bit of a doubt whether or not that was even true, but hearing you uh, verbalize it the way you did, uh, I guess I'll go ahead and and believe that that he is being genuine about that. But but yeah, a, as you say, it's it seems like a lot to tell somebody you just met, and whether there's this deep connection between an alumni of Break Bills, and that's why you feel more free. Uh, I don't know, but regardless, yeah. Mike. Well, I mean, I I, I get like narratively. You have to do it, like because they obviously, like I said, from last episode, they need to push this relationship 
because Mike's going to be dead by the end of this episode, and Elliot's one that has to do it. So they they have to kind of advance the game a little bit narratively to get to that point where Elliot has to make this terrible decision and and do what he does in order to save uh, Dean Fogg. All right. So obviously the question is, why does Mike want to kill Quentin? I mean, obviously Penny gets in the way and is badly cut, but why does the Beast want to kill Quentin? I mean, I think yeah. we'd have to say it's something to do with his intimate knowledge of Fillory, but at this point we don't know and and then of course the the episode then becomes uh, a question of figuring out how to cure the cursed wound that or i guess the knife is cursed or the the uh, spell is cursed i think they say regardless he's got roses growing out of his chest or or something yeah. but um they've got to figure out how to cure it alice recognizes this from the fourth fillery book she calls it a lorian assassin a virgo blade and quentin suddenly acts like i know how to fix this and in a sense he does right. he, he just gets the object wrong the first time right right right, right. A- and that's certainly and more more hey and this is not the first time that quentin slash hugh has said that line, right? Well, that's true, but I, I, I give Quentin a pass because he's thinking, all right, it's Jane's doll, so that's what I need. It's a doll, but it, it turns out to not necessarily be a specific item, but rather an item right. of importance. And and I love right. the so fact... So he's right, but not 100% right. Well, right, but I love the fact that then he and Alice go into Penny's room and they're trying to find something that, appears to be important to him and it's that candy wrapper and i think alice says ah it's not the candy wrapper he's like dude it, trust me it's the candy wrapper yeah you know well also that the conversation between the two turns into not so much what is the most important thing to penny but alice asks him what's the what would it be for you yeah yeah you know? right which is totally a passive aggressive question. Like she's just fishing for the answer that she wants to hear there. Right. But um but but yeah, you know, the that that relationship, that fox relationship, they're supposed to be feeding, by the way. Right. Um, is you know, still there. Like right. it's still totally in that room with them. Right. Well, grizzled veterans that we are, we we would know either how to answer that question or rather how not to answer that question but uh young and that he is but uh the other thing that's really fascinating is with eliza who apparently is jane chatwin confronts mike mike kills her and and again we don't see the actual act but her head clearly explodes did we need to though no i mean I, I still am in a very emotionally fragile state from uh, the, the the death of, um, oh my God, what is the character on Game of Thrones? But, you know, the, the guy from uh, uh, this Oberyn, right? Okay. Oberyn? Oh, right, sure. Uh, well, that's the example I always from, use. From a couple of seasons ago. Yeah. Uh, no, no, no spoilers here, unless you have not at all seen it and if you have I'm, i apologize i should well no no, no that's like five but seasons yeah over in martel who right right is ages ago um you know that that, that is you know I'm, I'm still that's still you know upsets me a little bit so it, it just brought back bad memories of that i guess uh of that happening so. well except that eliza wasn't taunting mike eliza didn't have mike down Right. And then taunt right. him and give him a chance to, exactly. you know, yes. regain right, focus and all of that. But right. Eliza is clearly dead. Is Jane dead? So in other words, is it possible that Jane's consciousness is still viable? I mean, it seems. Isn't Jane, Eliza, aren't they the same person? Well, I don't know. That's that's what I'm wondering. I mean, right. it just seems See, to be. That's what I'm saying. Like sometimes, here's like the problem that I have with this show. This episode, which I thought was a pretty good episode for the most part, but like things just happen like out of nowhere. 
like Quentin and Elliot are just sitting on the couch talking, and they're like wondering where Mike is. And Alice rolls up. And it's like, oh, they they totally found Mike. It's like, wait, what? And then like here, out of nowhere, like I had, I actually, I was really confused at first. I have to say, because just out of nowhere, Eliza is Jane. I'm like, wait, I think, like I actually went and looked at like the the you know the wiki and old reviews of the show to to try and figure do we, do we know that eliza was jane because they kind of just went there that that's like what there's I, really no setup right and and, you know? and i guess i'm thinking are you really going to kill jane chatwin in the eighth episode of the first season well apparently yeah, so okay i guess i guess <laughs> yeah. we'll find out uh, you know, maybe Dean Fogg is right. I don't think she's alive, Dave. Or something definitely spouted prodigious amounts of blood well, up on the mic's face. Well, perhaps Dean Fogg says it best. We all die very bloody. Yeah, and then, he's right. And then we get Q returning to Alice and they kiss. And dude, I'm getting so tired of these spinning camera shots that all the shows seem to be using these days. Uh. <laughs> Oh, I'm getting dizzy just even thinking about it. But yeah. uh, um, it, it, was, it was nice because now this is not, this isn't Fox love. This isn't animalistic love. This is love, love. Right, right, right. Yes, no question. So, uh, well, uh, anything else about either episode you want to bring up that we haven't talked about? Well, just one thing I have to say about Mayatowski. So, you know, when I'm, I'm always kind of like looking for like the, the quote to read at the end. Every time that guy opened his mouth, I was writing down his, his line. Like whoever wrote for that guy, man, like they knocked it out of the park. Like every line he said was freaking gold. Yeah. It was awesome. So I think, I think I'm thinking good. Okay. All right. Well, why don't we listen to Fred's feedback and then we'll talk about a few things. Hello, Dave and Wayne. This is Fred from the Netherlands with some feedback for The Magicians, Episode 7, and later on, Episode 8. First off, this will be the Sci-Fi TV Rewatch podcast, Episode 301, but I still want to congratulate you on the 301 last week. A really amazing achievement, and of such a constant quality, I often listen to older podcasts, Dark Angel, as I spoke about last week, or Lost Girl. And I recently listened to review and analysis of the very first episode of Star Trek Discovery. All very, very nice, outstanding podcasts with a very constant quality. I cannot distinguish the ones from three, four years ago from the ones that are just new. So, thumbs up, guys. I liked it last week that Doug Crabtree also sent his audio feedback from the Netherlands. A very nice homage to my country and my audio feedback. Thank you very much, Doug. And Dave was a little bit nitpicky in saying... You know, the, the other thing that Doug mentions is that he's from the Netherlands, except I think, Doug, and you'll have to correct me if I'm wrong, maybe on the Facebook group. So you were traveling to the Netherlands. You're not from the Netherlands, but probably got that wrong. Sure, Dave. And I can be Nick Picky as well. Doug didn't say he was from the Netherlands. He said, hello from the Netherlands. I figured that I, too, would say hello from the Netherlands. Nice, Doug. Bye, Dave. I'm so frustrated because season six of Agents of Shields started and the Sandbox podcast also starts now with Dave and Mike. And I can't give feedback. I'm only at season two, episode nine. I even considered to fully skip season three, four and five and just watch season six so that I could tackle along. But missing all the nice podcasts then as well. Well, it's just... I have to accept it. Well, fortunately, Mike did send me a soothing message. And he said, okay, Fred, you can catch up when season seven is going to air. Well, I hope I'll be ready then. And I'm sure hoping there will be a season seven. Or... 
Although I hate binge watching, taking a week off from work and watch season three, four and five and don't listen to the podcast. Well, that's actually even a worse scenario. My first remark on episode seven goes actually back to episode six. Because in this episode, so episode 7, Quentin and Alice change into these little foxes. Did anyone notice that Alice was wearing, in episode 6, so the previous episode, was wearing a blouse with all kinds of small, nice little foxes on it? I will post a picture of that on the Facebook page. Last podcast I was wondering why only Quentin and Penny changed into geese. But you were right, the whole flock of geese also included Alice and Katie, and even more students probably from Breakbills. So this is the standard program that the senior students obviously organize. So Elliot and Margot gave them this naked truth task, so they would land up in Mayakovsky's trainings program. Doug was right last podcast, it was nice to see them all four work together, although not diligently, or not diligently yet. As far as I understood from Doug's feedback, having seen the whole series, it probably gets more diligently later on in the series. There is one scene I didn't get fully. When Elliot and Margot are talking about Ibiza and Todd walks in, they tell him that it would not be so good for him to go there because he would feel awkward and lonely, etc. And then they tell the story about the so-called other Todd that somebody changed into a pig and they ate the pig. And then Todd says, are you messing with me? And then Margot looks at Todd and looks down and Todd looks down. Well, I have an idea, but what's happening there? It's not explained and, well, what happens there? Funny twist is that at the end, Todd is going with Margot to Ibiza. Nice unorthodox teacher, by the way, this Mayakovsky, giving his students the choice between fucking or working. But because of this unorthodox teacher and the role that Margot and Elliot play in this episode, I really want to give this episode an A. I love the way Quentin tells Mayakovsky what he thinks of him. I really have the impression that Quentin's best magic comes from him when he is getting insulted or angry. We saw that at the beginning when he was uh, admitted to break bills when Dean Falk got him mad and then he built a whole house of cards. Okay, time to go into episode 8. First question, why does Elliot like Mike? Just because he's pretty? Or does Mike have a kind of spell over Elliot? Next question, why does Julia still talk to Marina since Marina killed Hannah, Katie's mother? This Marina is really a bitch. Uh, sorry, I mean a bitch. I really doubt it when the big bad comes that she will join forces with the Break Bills team and Julia. Was this Mike possessed by the beast? He was hiding in Fillory, according to Eliza. Are we talking about the beast then? Or just a pawn of the beast. Eliza seems to be Jane Chatwin from Fillory. She's dead now. So what is that going to mean? Next question is, did Elliot kill Mike? Looks like it. And if yes, Mike was probably not the beast himself. Because the big bet would already be defeated then. And Dean Fogg later confirms that the beast is still there and is becoming extra dangerous with Eliza out of the way. And he is forecasting that everybody will be killed, and quite depressive himself. So, announcements of big, big disasters coming, but we don't know what exactly. And next to this, there is the Julia story. From Katie, we don't hear anything, but that's okay for one episode. But I hope we get some answers what she is doing in the meanwhile, and if she still has contact with Marina. Probably not. Positive thing in this episode. Well, at the end, at least the two little foxes found each other again. That was all for these two episodes. Greetings. All the best. Fred from the Netherlands. 
All right. Well, Fred, uh, your problems with Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., um, dude, I truly understand, but I vote that you take a week off from work. The obvious problem or issue with Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. is that the seasons are each 22 episodes, so that's pretty monumental. But if anybody can do it, Fred, I think it's you. Now, um, (laughs) you know, we talked about the foxes and I definitely missed the fox blouse that Alice was wearing. So, oh, Fred had a a screenshot of that. And I think he might have even posted that in the Facebook group. You know, as I said, I I think I'm getting a better handle after talking to you about the significance of the fox and the animal transformations in general. I guess I mean, you know, uh, the foxes make sense. The geese was that just a, a means to get them from point A to point B? You know, I guess. I guess, yeah. You know, and, and geese do fly south, but I don't think they fly all the way south. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> yeah. Now, um, Fred brings Like they up, stop probably in Florida or something. like. You know. Yeah, now Fred brings up Margot inviting Todd to Ibiza. And, of course, the only thing that is going inside my head is hopefully Todd's going to get lucky. Well, as long as he can not, what does she tell him? You know, to not be a bore or something. Yeah, something like that. Don't be boring. Um, Yeah, we talked about Mayakovsky's teaching methods, and and, uh, obviously Fred is a teacher as well uh, as a scientist. So, you know, (laughs) Fred, hopefully you have more freedom than Wayne and I have had, but being able to tell your students, you don't know anything, you're morons. That's amazing. That's uh, probably like my very last year. Like right when I'm about to retire, I'm just going to I'm just going to let it all out. I'm just going to be like eff it. Yeah. <laughs> just I'm, I'm going to do what I've wanted to do for 30 some years now. Yep. All right. Anyway. Yeah, now he brings up uh Mike and Elliot and how it is that they even are brought together in the first place and uh, of course knowing what we know now that Mike apparently was inhabited by the beast. Did the beast somehow put him in Elliot's path or was he just a convenient body? That's a good question because right. It's not per se necessary for Mike to get with Elliot. Right. Yeah. Um, And it does provide him, more access to Quentin, but I don't know if it provides him any more access than he could get just hanging around, you know? Right. So, you know, I, I would tend to say that the relationship between Mike and Elliot is, is a genuine one that that just kind of happened. Wasn't necessarily part of the, the beast plans, you know, because I, I, we don't, it's just with the butterfly that seems like the beast takes over. Right. Well, and Fred even mentions whether or not it's a spell or does he just think Mike is attractive. And, and I think it's that he thinks Mike is attractive, but I guess I'd go back to what I said when we were talking about this episode, there was a lot of the, the early stuff when Margot hasn't left yet for Ibiza that I don't know. I guess in the end is this whole episode with Mike going to draw Margot and Elliot closer together rather than drive them further apart. And and I think that's probably what's going to happen once she gets back and learns what has taken place in her absence. I, I think it is going to bring the two of them closer together. Now, he mentions Julia and, and that he's a little bit surprised that she even talks to Marina. And I guess I looked at it that I don't know that Julia had a choice Marina clearly talked her way into this place and short of making a scene. And when you're in rehab, making a scene is probably not a good way to expedite your release. Yeah. So she's kind of ambushed by Marina. Yeah, absolutely. I don't don't think she has. You're right. She doesn't have much choice here, uh, especially when she knows how powerful Marina is, right? She's probably... There's probably some part of her is scared at this point, but uh, yeah, Maria's just terrible. And you know, I, I you know, um, Fred says he doesn't see them teaming up, and 
you know, I, I kind of guess at this point, I, I would maybe have to agree with that, though I'm not going to completely you know, write that off and say that there won't be a hedge which break bills, you know, unity at some point in the future. Um, but I definitely agree that it seems much less likely now and probably more likely that whatever whatever path Julia is going down to might end up having her reconciling with break bills or somehow aligning herself with break bills or whatever. Right. Well, I mean, one of the things that we didn't even talk about during the discussion is the acknowledgement on Dean Fogg's part is that Fillory is real. And so the fact that, okay, we've just had verified what we assumed was true is that Fillory's real. The beast apparently is going back and forth between Fillory. How much of a power is the beast going to exert over you know the you know the the reality that we see i don't know i guess we'll have to start coming up with names for uh the different realities but you know again like like you just said like fred says at this point it seems kind of unlikely that two are going to join forces but, sure uh, but uh, you know with what you just said just like a good point to reiterate something i've talked about before it's it, it seems like it's just ludicrously easy to to break in the break bills yes like almost every episode there's some lapse of security that someone who's not supposed to be there totally gets in it's just like how has this school existed how has it been able to last as long as it has yep they need to do something about their wards grant and otherwise all right um nice now he brings up the you know jane being dead or just the body and and you know like i said i don't know but the last thing that that fred brings up that i want to mention is the fact that we don't have katie in this episode and what i will say and this isn't spoilery this is out there for anybody that's paying attention i didn't look on imdb so i don't know but i noticed early on that jade taylor who plays katie is listed as guest star so I worry that it may be a while before we see her again. I hope I'm wrong. I don't know. I'm just like, you know, I haven't watched ahead. I haven't read ahead. I don't know. But when they're running the opening credits, she's listed separately as guest star. So take take that for what it's worth. Yeah. Uh, Well, I I feel like, you know, she might, she might not be on for a couple episodes, but I feel like Katie is just, too important they put too much into her character to just you know but of course you know in show business things happen you know the actress maybe got another gig or something and she was like all right i'm done but you know i feel like narratively katie is just too important of a character for her to be gone gone well point. she's certainly important to me so hopefully she's back uh, that's dave that that's part of it too yep so uh i didn't get your letter grades for the two episodes so the second one definitely an A minus. Okay, if, if there was something between an A and an A minus, but I'm not giving an A plus. I guess, you know, I just I have to be the Fred here. I just really like Mayatovsky. Okay, Sounds I thought he was great. I thought it made the episode thoroughly enjoyable. I haven't given any A's out to the uh, to the magicians yet, so I'm gonna I'm gonna pin an A on the Mayatovsky uh, one. All right, very good. I can't remember the whole title. So- Okay. All right. Well, you want to leave it there? Sure. Okay. All right. Well, we want to thank you for joining us. That's going to do it for this episode of Sci-Fi TV Rewatch. We'd love to hear what you think about uh, The Magicians, any other show we've covered. We've got Dark on the Horizon. Encourage you to join the Facebook group. Share your thoughts with the Sci-Fi TV Rewatch community there. And, of course, if you're already a member, just spread the word. Bring other people into the group. Emails go to sci-fi TV rewatch at gmail.com. Voicemails can go via the speak pipe tab, which you can access through the website. And we'll be back next week to continue our discussion of the magicians with season one, episode nine titled the writing room. But until then, you know, as we saw on the feedback the other day for sci-fi TV rewatch, your voices are your enemies.